there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so glad you're along for the ride. If you're interested in education technology, also known as EdTech, especially in higher education, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest founded and ran what's known as the Princeton Review, which helps students find, get into, and pay for higher education. And he since founded and run two other ed tech companies. But before I introduce you to John Katzman, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive peek inside the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And it is so easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my entrepreneurial education lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is John Katzman, an education entrepreneur. John is the founder and CEO of the Noodle Companies, which connects learners, educators, and technology. Prior to that, John founded and ran 2U, that's the number 2U, it's the opposite of U2, which helps research universities create and administer high-quality online degree programs. And before that, he founded and ran the Princeton Review, which to this day helps students find, get into, and pay for their higher education. John is also the co-author of a number of books and has served as a director of several for-profit and non-profits, including Renaissance Learning, the National Association of Independent Schools, the Woodrow Wilson Foundation, and the National Alliance of Public Charter Schools. By the way, if you want to learn more about what John does in his current role as the founder and CEO of the Noodle Companies and how he built his career in the field of higher ed, check out the show notes for this episode to see if our main T4C interview has already dropped. John, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I'm more a Diet Coke guy, but absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. Well, from what I remember about Diet Coke, they have a little bit of caffeine in them. Yeah, just enough. (laughs) Okay. So let us jump into our 10 espresso shots. The first shot, John, is what entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to break into the industry of educational technology? There are a bunch of entry-level jobs. If you think about ed tech as a community, there's a marketing component, there's a product and technology component, there's a content, a large group of people, and finally, they're selling. And all of them have entry-level jobs that are interesting. And what would those entry-level jobs, the titles, that kind of thing, look like for a young person who may be searching, whether on your website or maybe on a glass door or a zip recruiter? On the sales side, some companies call it sales, some call it school relations, university relations. All of them come down to what's usually a very consultive sell from pretty high-level folks 
especially in higher ed, you're talking to associate deans, you're talking to associate provosts in K-12 to fairly senior people at both district and school level. In content, it might be an editor or an associate editor position. In technology, it'd be a coder or an assistant product manager. In marketing, it would be an assistant marketing manager. Got it. Oh, really? It would be an assistant marketing manager. That sounds like a title that would require a higher level of experience. Sure. Sometimes it's a community manager. In both cases, it is maintaining a steady drip of communication between the company and its clients, either B2C, talking to consumers, or B2B, talking to schools, universities, businesses. And it's working with someone who's senior and really understands the levers for marketing and education, but it's doing the day-to-day heavy lift. Okay, great. Thanks for that clarification. John, what is a useful skill or skills that you look for in the young people that you hire at Noodle or at 2U, or for that matter, when you launched your first company, when you just had graduated from college and started the Princeton Review? So one soft skill and one hard skill people I really appreciate are looking for ways to fix things because a startup has a lot of things that are broken, right? And when you're growing very quickly, something could be working perfectly in January and will probably be broken by December. If you're growing three or four X, systems get stressed. And when you see a problem and you grab it and start fixing it and start addressing it and thinking it through, now you kind of own that area. And authority is not given, it's taken by people who find problems and become integral to the organization by fixing them. The football analogy, there's a loose ball on the field, just fall on. On the hard skill side, I would say data science is becoming so much a part of every role in every organization that any statistics course is good. Any real understanding of how to use R or how to manipulate data, it makes somebody intensely valuable. Did you say how to use R, like the letter R? It's a coding language focused on data. You could take a general assembly course in it, but it's a particularly useful skill in just about every department. If somebody really can crunch data, they're just more valuable. Definitely. Another point of clarification, when you say that you are looking for young people who are going to fix things, is another way of saying that that you want them to be the kind of people who take the initiative to say, here's a problem. I'm going to manage up and just say to my supervisor, I've identified this problem. Shall I move forward and fix it? Or do you want them just to go and fix it? In startup land, it's better to ask forgiveness. Just fix it. Just dive in. Certainly in talking to people about it, but when there's something that's not working right, some process, somebody thinking through how to re-engineer that process. When there's an unhappy customer, somebody doing backflips to figure out how to solve that problem for that customer. Boy, that's just so good. Absolutely. I'm just thinking right now, my 15-year-old son, I cannot tell you how many times, John, he says to me, when I say, Aiden, why didn't you do this or that? And he's like, why didn't know? It's like, (laughs) figure it out right? Google it, whatever it is. I mean, I granted he's 15. I'm cutting him a lot of slack. But certainly if you're in your later teens, and your early 20s, you should be able to Google it, watch a YouTube video, take the initiative. As John says, either jump on the ball or run with the ball, but get it done. 
Yeah. It's a funny thing. Most people who end up doing tech support, either for their family or for a company, just they're known as the guy you go to, the woman you go to when something's broken. They'll tell you the same thing. Well, first just reboot it and then Google the problem and see what other people say, right? There's no magic to most things. That's tech support, but everything's like that. It's just most problems a company has, whether it's ed tech or making donuts or a law firm, it's all the same problems. You've got customers and you've got employers and vendors and the problems are much more similar than different. I agree 100%. And I recognize we're only on the second shot, but I think this is such an important point that perhaps I didn't fully realize until I was older. But the fact of the matter is, you use initiative. And if you don't in your classwork, you need to be, right? To get extra credit, to go above and beyond. It isn't just about getting the A in your schoolwork. It's about knowing how to get shit done. Just figure it out. You can't keep going back for more and more and more clarification. And as John said, especially when you're in a startup and people are stretched and they're pulled in a million different directions, it's the same thing on a political campaign. You need to be the kind of person that can figure it out. All right. Third espresso shot, John. One last note first on that. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I think school a lot of times teaches you the wrong lessons. The professor gives you a bunch of information and then you give it back and you study harder and you know more of it and you get a better grade. Whereas most work life in startups, but in a lot of businesses, A, there's an 80-20 rule. Like most things you can do 80% and they'll be fine. It's where you put that extra time. It's figuring out which of the things that are really important and just kicking butt on those. And so it's not just like you get A work and then you do extra credit. It's you do B work on a lot of things, but then <laughs> the things that are important, you just kick it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for correcting and just taking the point I made to the next level. What you said makes so much more sense to me. I think the way you've articulated it, it isn't about, and I completely agree if we start going into like the person who gets straight A's in school, we're not all equally good in everything. You need to figure out what you're good at and go deep there. And it's the same thing with your time. We only have so many hours in a day, as you said. Figure out what's really important, focus there, and the other minutia or the things that should be a lower priority, give them the 20%. So completely agree. Thank you for that clarification. John, is someone's major a deciding factor to get into your profession. And I recognize at the outset, you laid out all the different verticals in ed tech. But if they haven't studied coding, are they not going to get into that track? Does it matter with respect to the job that they're applying for? In terms of coding and product management in a tech firm, you really do need a background in that to be useful. And it could be a major, it could be a master's, it could be a general assembly series of courses, boot camp. but there's a lot to learn and there's a language and there are a series of tools that people use. And if you don't know them, you're just not that valuable. Other than that, when it comes to selling, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to content, I am utterly agnostic. I majored in architecture. There are people here who had every possible major, and we don't even look at it. Excellent. You mentioned graduate school degrees. How important is it to have that master's 
or a PhD or an MBA or whatever the case may be, less so for the entry-level jobs, more so in order to succeed in your field, whatever that definition may be, I'm thinking C-suite in some way, shape, or form? It's a great question. You've got a lot of really smart people saying we might be 40 years away from the end of work that certainly discipline after discipline is being disrupted by a combination of robotics and AI. And a little piece of that cutting edge of it might be jobs just going overseas. But I think for the most part, it's computers more than cheaper labor. The need for an educational intervention to move your career forward or move it sideways so that you can move forward, I think is going to be just a part of life. So it might not be a formal master's. There might be something in between, but I think it's a big deal. And now that 35% of people getting their graduate degrees are getting them online at a half-time pace, quitting work, it's also something that can be done in a pretty fluid way that doesn't disrupt somebody's life tremendously. Taking two courses at a time is certainly work. It's much harder than you think, but in pretty short order, it can have some pretty big dividends. As you know more about what it is you like doing and where the opportunities are as the workforce and the work world change. So are you saying it is a good idea to get a grad degree, especially in this case, if you want to go into educational technology? And if so, John, what do you think are the most useful ones to have? Data science and computer science are economically the most useful. Business degrees, not just MBAs or master's in accounting, but things like just a master's in finance or business analytics, I think are particularly useful also. If you're focused on what is the graduate degree most likely to help me in my industry, those would be way up there or help me in my career search. I actually like public policy and public administration sorts of things, but I don't think the return on investment, if you're looking at it in mercenary terms, is going to be as high. Yeah. And I think it's important to be mercenary about it. Graduate degree is a little bit more mercenary in general than undergrad. Right. People are there for a reason. This is an industry I want to be in. This is a job I want to do. And knowing these things and having these contacts and these skills is going to help me do it better. I would say in principle, that should be the case. I think in practice, and you're the expert here, my sense is just sitting on the sidelines anecdotally. There are many people who get graduate degrees without yet knowing if, in fact, that's what they want to do with the rest of their lives, and also not recognizing that they will probably have four different careers over the course of their life. That's totally true, but it doesn't mean that the master's is a bad idea. It just means don't expect that you've got 40 years of earning to pay for it. It's got to make sense for a career that you're in for seven or eight years. And if you say the only reason that this would be worthwhile is if I do this the rest of my life, that's making a big bet. Yeah, absolutely. And one that may not be the case. I mean, I think we'll get into this more during our main interview, but I think you are in probably the minority in that you have stayed in a very similar industry during the course of your career, although you have been, I don't want to say reinventing the wheel because you've been making a different wheel every time. Tech is compelling. It's one of those industries that you really can feel like you're making social change. And at the same time, it can be a good business as well. So it's satisfying on a couple levels. Yeah. And the people in it tend to be 
pretty good folks. So, John, what kind of life experiences do you think are most useful for someone starting out in ed tech? None. I mean, it's just the experience people have. We've all been to school. We hire generally college grads, and so we've been to college as well. So we, as a group, basically understand what the landscape is. And pretty much as a company, we can take it from there. I don't need people to walk in with any specific life skills to be successful here. Yeah, I would also think, as you said, having been a student, having walked through the halls of various buildings on campus and sat in class, maybe even been an online student would be useful if you're going into ed tech. Absolutely. But the huge majority of students now have taken at least one online course. So that's not a very high bar. Great. So, John, what is the best part for you of being in ed tech? Well, I mentioned, I think ed tech is a fabulous industry. Education is a target-rich environment. There are so many problems that can be addressed of education, early childhood, all the way through life learning. And if you think about the early state we're at in terms of neuroscience and what we're starting to learn about how the brain actually works, it's going to be a sector that changes an awful lot. And at the same time, it's a large industry. It's $1.2, $1.3 trillion in the U.S. So you've got this large sector that has some real issues, mostly in higher ed. The cost of higher ed is the 800-pound gorilla. And in K-12, it's how do we rethink governance for our K-12 systems and how do we affect change? Yeah, absolutely. That's where that public policy degree comes in. That's right. And societal change, like by fixing education, the best schools and the best districts are really changing whole cities. For sure. So, John, as we both know, even in the best careers and the best professions and the best jobs, there are aspects that suck. So what is the part of your current job as the founder and CEO of the Noodle Companies that sucks the most? I think any entrepreneur will tell you that raising money sucks partners who have a different set of incentives and goals than perhaps you do. Different time frames, different ways of analyzing what's good and bad. I've watched really good companies sort of end up going to the dark side, led by investors who are just looking for that extra couple percent return. And it's hard to say no. To those investors. Well, you've got the demands of your customers. You've got your commitment to students. You've got your employees. But you also have your investors and their needs are important and they're an important voice at the board. So making promises to them to get them to invest and then keeping those promises is a really important part of being a CEO. It's a really important part of being an entrepreneur, but it is the part I enjoy the least. Yeah, I can totally get that. So John, three final espresso shots. What is the best career advice that you've ever gotten? My brother used to tell me, sometimes when everybody says you're wrong, it's because you're wrong. And I've always found a lot of wisdom in that. I don't always back off a position just because everybody says I'm wrong. But even as I stubbornly persist, I'm aware that I probably should be finding a new road. So is the moral to that story to have some humility or some self-awareness? Exactly. It's humility to know, when am I doing something that is off the beaten path, but logical and bold? And when am I just being an idiot? (laughs) 
Okay. Well, we will get into that part, although I can't imagine there have been too many instances when you've been an idiot. I know in my own life, I have been an idiot many times. Final two espresso shots, John. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books do you think accurately depict your profession? People talk a lot about Silicon Valley. There are pieces of it, certainly, that ring true. There are pieces of the movie, The Social Network, in terms of the kind of crazy hours and commitment that a successful startup demands. And yet the camaraderie and the joy of solving a problem and competing against Goliath successfully, it is a fun path. Terrific. We will include those in show notes. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn, John, about this profession? Two things. One, the people think of education as somewhat monolithic. For instance, higher ed. Higher ed is a bunch of different sectors. The elite universities have a completely different reality than community costs or than large state institutions, where they get their money, where they get their students, what kind of promises they're making. A surprising number of people think that everybody should learn the same thing at the same time, that we all are wired more or less the same. They propose things like Common Core or like a citywide or statewide or national curriculum. What I think people have to relearn is just how every student is pretty different in where they're coming from, what their goals are, and the ways that they need to experience education. And it's really hard to have an education system that is truly personal. Who are you? What are you trying to learn? What's the best way to teach to you? But really important. Oh, my goodness. I could not agree more especially with the idea that students need to experience education, the whole concept of an experiential experience, and the idea that we do not learn the same way. That is a whole nother episode. <laughs> I would love to get into that with you, John. But we are at the end of our espresso shots. I want to say thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. This was wonderful. It was so good to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.